0: I call injuries motivation builds because they seem to come at a time when you need a break and it allows you some space to step back and realize, oh, this is what I have.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to This One's For You, a show where we talk to incredible people about their very human experiences. I'm your host, Ellen Noble, and today I am joined by an amazing woman, an amazing athlete, Leah Davidson. Someone who has had to face the comeback from injury time and time again. How did Leah overcome not one, but two catastrophic hip injuries on her way to two world championship medals and two Olympics? Her story is one of resilience and gratitude. So whether you're an athlete dealing with injury or just someone in need of a little inspiration, this one's for you. Leah Davidson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am probably even more excited than you are. And um, just to continue with the flattery, just a little bit more, (laughs) I um, am really excited to be talking to you today about a couple of things, but especially the topic that we're going to talk about first with injury. It was actually one of the really big motivators for me to start this podcast Mm -hmm. because when I was really, really going through it, you told me so much about overcoming injury. And the conversation impacted me so much that I was like, I feel like other people, need to hear this yeah. as well and that's sort of what ended up becoming this one's for you. So my goodness.
0: <laughs> I am I am honored. <laughs> and I think this is the first podcast that I've done in person. So much better. It's it's so much better. You can sip on a maple latte that i made you.
1: Yes. Uh <laughs> I mean that alone is worth worth the drive. So uh thanks for taking the time to be here today. Absolutely. And yeah I'm really excited to hear a bit more. So um you know, I want to open the floor to you a little bit to kind of talk about your journey with injury. Um, I know that you have, uh, maybe more experience with injury than really anyone would ever want to go through or wish on even their biggest competitors. (laughs) So can you take me through kind of like that, that big overview of, of your injuries and sort of,
0: yeah i can i i think it comes natural when um and a professional athlete has a longer career so it's natural especially in the sport of cycling and mountain biking in particular you're gonna deal with injuries at some point and they could be small they could be big the first big one that i had was um, in in my cycling career was actually at the beginning. It was I tore my ACL on um, downhill ski racing, and that was at the beginning of my career. It was um, after junior world championships, so I placed seventh, and I had this whole season lined up. The next season, I'm so pumped! I'm gonna race elite. This is before, this is before they had U2 the U23 category. Mm-hmm. And that spring ski racing, I tore my ACL. So I actually still raced uh, without an ACL. And then I got the surgery um, that fall, like the following fall. I would not recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) Then the next big one, the next big surgery was, um, so that was in 2002. I'm dating myself but i've had a long career
1: yeah i'm doing a little bit a b- little bit of mental <laughs> math with that and i'm like whoa 2002 yeah it was a while ago um and yeah the next big
0: one was in 2010 when i tore some cartilage in my hip for the first time so it's a torn labrum mm-hmm. and that was before torn labrums were a thing and and they didn't You're like really a hip
1: hips <laughs> a hipster.
0: Yeah. I'm a hipster <laughs> paving the way. And it because of that it took a while to figure out what was actually going on. So I tore um that uh, m- both my hip surgery or not surgeries but injuries came between Christmas and New Year's. So I would actually call that like the dark period and I would just try to lay low <laughs> after both happened around that time. So um yeah, I I got surgery on that in twenty ten and mm-hmm. then unfortunately coming into the twenty fourteen season I tore the other um the cartilage in the other hip. So I was like, Oh boy, I know I know what this is. And yeah, so those are like the three major
1: Yeah. And so with both of your hips, those are like a year and a half out from both Olympics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the key. That's a key point because in the first one, it was a conscious decision Mm -hmm. when I was going to get surgery. So I had surgery in April Mm -hmm. after Sea Otter, and it was okay. I could get a cortisone shot. Mm -hmm. I could kind of ride this season out. Who knows how it's going to be? How long is the pain going to be subsided from the shot? Um, you know what? I'm just going to prioritize the Olympics and right. get this now.
1: Right. So I, the Olympics aren't getting any farther away.
0: Yes, yep. exactly. So I can I can literally take this the 2010 season to recover, mm-hmm. come into 2011, all good and yeah. ready to go. And that was the year that you qualify for the long team, mm-hmm. and then hopefully go from the long team to the Olympic team. Yep
1: so yeah, this, this junior injury that you had with your ACL is kind of like setting the stage almost for yeah. the next two big ones. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, both of those hip injuries in the surgeries kind of like, did those, did you have to adjust your expectations kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> I oh, feel like it yeah. might be a little bit of an <laughs> obvious question, but, um, yeah. You, you had to adjust your expectations cause you have like a pretty major surgery. Yes.
0: Yeah. The first one I had no idea if I was going to come back. I mean, right. this was a major surgery. It was one of the first times that they, this doctor that I worked with hadn't done many of them. So I'm like, that oh, was a-. really comprehensive. <laughs> yeah. <swearing.
1: laughs>
0: yeah. So it, I mean, it was not like a surgery that they've done so many times. And my knee surgery set me up for success because I, that's when I got connected with my strength coach who I worked with throughout all of these comebacks from these surgeries. So yeah, 2010 uh, was, was rough. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to come back. So anything surpassing I'm racing my bike for a living and, and doing, and being successful was Mm -hmm. great, you know, because I didn't know if that was going to happen. Now, the second time I knew that I was going, I had, I could come back because I had already done it. I knew the drill, but the question was with that, I wasn't going to take the season off. You know, I, Mm Was going to get the surgery right away. I got the surgery in January, Mm -hmm. mid-January. I did it, you know, in that dark period (laughs) between Christmas and New Year's, and we were going to try to come back in that same season.
1: So that is, like, maybe the key differentiator between the first time and the second time is that you were you probably had more expectations the second time around.
0: Uh, well, I had the expectation that I was going to be able to race my bike mm-hmm. and and return to a level of success. Mm-hmm. But the big question was I still had to adjust because I didn't know if I could do it in the same season. Before I right. took a year. Right. You know, and I had all the time mm-hmm. to do it. And now we were trying to do it in this shortened time period. So... I did, I came into that season with no expectations because I didn't know, can I race, Mm -hmm. you know, can I race with this limited time to recover from this surgery? And that, and a magical thing happened when I had no expectations. I mean, I realized that there's, you know, we put so many expectations on ourselves in in each race, unless we're new to the sport. Right. And you Mm -hmm. can see that. Mm -hmm. With some beginners that come in, they have no idea Mm -hmm. how they're going to do, and then all of a sudden they're winning.
1: But yeah, isn't that's actually maybe the secret behind beginners' luck? Yes. It's not beginners' luck, but it's beginners' lack of expectation and getting in your own way.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and that's this season. It was like whatever I did was awesome Mm -hmm. because I I didn't know if I could like. Be performing at that level. Mm -hmm. So I would be in a race instead of, you know, when I came back to World Cups and racing Mm -hmm. World Cups, instead of being like, oh, I shouldn't be back here. You know, in in place, whatever, 30, 20, Mm -hmm. 20 to 30. Instead, I was like, oh, my God, awesome. Like, I just came from behind and I'm in 30th. And Mm -hmm. it was like all this positive reinforcement and energy. And I ended up having uh at that point one of i did i had the best season of my career and so like for mount saint anne world cup for mm-hmm. example that was one of the first ones that i came back to and i was like had a positive race experience the entire time yeah. i'm like oh i'm in the top 15 sick! like this is awesome yeah. and and then i oh i'm in the top 10 this is amazing Oh my gosh, I'm on the podium. Wow. You know, so I, it was this incredible magic thing that having no expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So where did that, where did that mindset come from though? Because that's not a guarantee. It's not like every person who gets their uh, labrum repaired is like gifted with this very like mature and healthy mindset. I think a lot of people having been through injury myself Mm. felt like I always felt really rushed and I wasn't good at that process focused goal. I was like I shouldn't be back here. I'm not recovering fast enough. Um like where did you learn or why and how did you sort of know to just be grateful for like you know I I was under the knife a couple months ago and now yeah. I'm here and now I'm here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a I mean, that's a great question. I don't know if I can put my finger on it. It's probably a combination of factors um I think I'm an optimistic person in general
1: and you're looking for the shovel
0: yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) um and I it was the mindset I think that uh my strength coach and I probably developed of like okay This is going to be a progression. We're trying something big. Mm -hmm. So who knows, but we're going to earn it. Right. You know, earn the right to be strong enough to race and then earn the right to be, you know, Mm -hmm. like earn that strength and the right to do, to -hmm. pass all these steps. Yeah. So, and I think this is the key. I, um, I call injuries, motivation builds. Because they seem to come at a time when you need a break, yes, and you need to kind of step back and also a gratitude build, yes, and it allows you some space to step back and realize, oh, this is what I have, yes, you know, and and when you're going from crutches, crutching around, and having a hard time like carrying a plate mm-hmm. and serving yourself dinner, and not riding your bike, then you get to ride your bike outside, even for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. it's like such a rush. And I'm like, oh, I love this, you know, and it like kind of reignites that motivation, Mm -hmm. that, um, passion that, that I had for the sport and gratitude for moving and being able to do this.
1: Yeah. I feel like gratitude is like such a big thing that plays different roles for different athletes. Do you have like a specific way that you focus on gratitude and that you make space for gratitude or is it something that's kind of, is it a passive or active part of your life? Do you journal about it or do you just sort of when you're out on the bike, you're like, hell yeah, this is awesome.
0: Yeah. I think it's mostly that like yeah. passive yeah. and kind of being in the moment, Yeah, which I, that's one of my superpowers. And yeah. so like, you know, Fraser, my wife says every place that I ride my bike is my favorite place because I'm like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun so I think that it comes naturally to me and you know in the lead up to um the Tokyo Olympics yeah. in 2021 after they got postponed I was this was the first time I was actively keeping a gratitude journal okay. and that was huge
1: so you found even as someone who's like naturally like full of gratitude and yeah. loves everything keeping a gratitude journal was still like a good part of the process yes. for you
0: that was that was key to survival throughout that whole process.
1: I feel like you accidentally just made a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Is like you're someone who is just like all energy and all smiles and all like excitement. And when I think about our texts, it's usually you like doing something excited <laughs> and absurd. And um, you know we have to have the microphone like further away from you because you um, project so much. Like that's just who you are and you still had to keep track of things to be grateful for during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And like you still had hard times. Yes. And I think that a lot of people, I think maybe that's one of the like bullet points underneath the purpose of this podcast is like, yes, even Leah (laughs) (laughs) sometimes needs to be more deliberate about tracking things to be grateful for.
0: Absolutely. And I think naturally, it kind of, not naturally, intentionally, it came as a habit, as a, it, I was trying to um, do other things, but then this was like a side benefit. So I'll, I'll be more clear. So the, I recently learned L.L. Bean has been doing a lot of work around awe in nature, and and they have found through this research with dr piff that if you experience on nature that it's a complete restructuring of of your world like if you're having a bad day you go outside and it doesn't have to be a big moment you don't yeah. have to be on top of a a peak you can just say it it like you feel small and that wow. is a positive experience yes. like it's good for your mental health it kind of like restructures your day so the big thing the things that seem big aren't so big anymore right so in my warm-ups for world cups in working with like a routine with my sports psychologist he would always say okay on your warm-ups just if you're feeling overwhelmed if you're feeling nervous Mm -hmm. just take a moment and look up because you're usually in a beautiful place yes and just look around and smile and take a deep breath, and I would do that before every single race. Yeah, because like we're in Switzerland, we're yes. and and all of a sudden it's like this moment of awe that I experienced, and then it's like okay, yeah, I'm at a bike race. Like yeah. this does not seem so like big and looming and negative. It like is a complete restructuring. So yeah. that's an intentional gratitude. actually practice yes um that I didn't intend it to be but it is
1: right and that looks very different from a gratitude journal Mm -hmm. or uh, a specific meditation and I think like that's really important because like I know a lot of people especially like being in the neurodivergent space um a lot of people feel like these big mental blocks around like well I don't want to journal or I don't want to meditate or I don't want to do yoga or things like that because they feel like these really, really big tasks. And oftentimes at the time when you need that the most, like we're already behind on care tasks. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't need to add another thing to do to your list, but there are ways. And I feel like what you just said is so important. There are ways to achieve those same outcomes without having to do something that maybe just doesn't work for you. Yeah. And so like you can still feel gratitude without having to keep a structured gratitude journal, or mm-hmm. um, you know, you can still experience awe in nature even on days that you don't have the capacity to exercise or yes. do anything strenuous. And I think like that's such an important message to like where you really are, like w- when you're meeting yourself where you are, um, because I think a lot of us feel like we have to do something exactly yeah. how it was designed by like neurotypical the, the, the neurotypicals who came before us. Yeah, and um, I'm always looking for those ways to like make something fit where I'm at. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I just feel like that exercise of gratitude is so simple yes. and it, it's literally, uh, it's, it's in a single moment. It's momentary, like just looking up yeah, and being amazed. And it sounds like it was just such a huge perspective shift. So I guess like going back to the injuries a little bit more, yeah. like you have been through a lot of injuries and do you feel like those experiences were they I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like your first injury is all new and it's really scary. Yeah. But then every injury after that, you have the experience to know like I've gotten through this before. Yeah. But then you also <laughs> have like the literal and emotional scar tissue mm-hmm. of having gone through injuries before. Yeah. And it's like every time I had a setback and mm-hmm. my mine weren't always like um like with invisible illness, you can't see yeah. those injuries as much. I didn't have I I couldn't get a CT scan or an MRI to show what was going on with me. But I was getting more and more frustrated even though I knew how to deal with it. I was like, I'm so sick and tired of having to deal with this. Ugh, totally. So for you, like, was it a relief to know that you've been through what you had gone through before or were you... Dealing with that scar tissue a little bit more, and, and of course you can say both.
0: Yeah, it was both. I would say and, yes, <laughs> <laughs> not or with that one. I yes, it gave me confidence to know that I had a team in place that I have, you know, I knew worked right. Mm-hmm. I had come back from this hip surgery before, and it is so demoralizing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to go through this again. Yes, like why? you know? And there's a certain, I would say, grieving process that you have to go through. It's like, oh my gosh, no, this isn't happening. You got the denial, you have the anger, the pity, like, Mm -hmm. why me?
1: Yeah, the full stages of grief. Yeah, like the
0: full gamut that you run through. And then once you finally arrive to that acceptance stage, it's like, okay, now (laughs) I just needed a plan. really. And I think we all... I, I think athletes in particular do well with like, okay, give me a training schedule and I'm going to yeah. train my way out of this, yes. right? Like, <laughs> I, and this is what we're going to do, and I can put in, you know, three mm-hmm. sessions a day, and I can go to the pool, and I can do a mobility session, I can do a strength, and I can do a training run. Like, we got that nailed, yeah. You know, so I feel like I do. I'm very confident when it comes to injuries, and I know mm-hmm. what to do, and I also you know, it's given me perspective of like, well, I've I've had this experience before Mm -hmm. and I've come back from it. And I know that a little bit of time off uh, with an injury can actually do you good. That's key. (laughs) We all freak out if we have to miss training for two days. And believe me, it's something that I had to keep reminding myself of, but I'm like, well, guess what? I was off the bike for four months. Yeah. You know, with my. Yeah, and hip, look first at you. You surgery. turned out fine. Yeah.
1: I turned out. <laughs> like I more my, than fine.
0: I have my best season yet, you right. know? So sometimes these, you learn that it's not so big of a deal. You right. know, it doesn't carry so much weight, but it's still stressful.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, it can feel like the end of the world. But then on the other side, you're like, oh, wow, like that downtime was really good for me and I think a lot of people went through that with COVID yeah it's like of course like all these horrible 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 things are happening in the world but I think people also realized that um a lot of athletes like really needed a break and suddenly not not athletes people
0: yeah
1: uh so, like a lot of people who did get that time that downtime I think really benefited from it I think it showed a lot of people that um yeah Maybe we were structuring our lives a little bit differently than.
0: um, Absolutely.
1: (laughs) So, okay. So you're on the first half of the and you said, um, you know, you, you felt confident in how you were going to handle that, but then there's the other part of like, (laughs) why me? Yeah. Um, You know, is this.
0: Yeah. I would say it's, there's always a question mark, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this with the second hip surgery was, am I going to come back within this amount of time? Right. I would say the the main part of that second part of the and is what I call it an emotional setback or an emotional injury. You know, like that's something that is more convoluted to to develop resilience through. You know, as yeah. in not getting selected for the Tokyo Olympic team. Right. So, uh, yeah, don't have that covered. That was <laughs> and still is a learning process. Right.
1: Sorry, I just kind of lost my train of thought. Emotional so gonna... injury. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess on the topic of emotional injuries, it's like... <laughs> so aggressive. It's, but it's, it's so real. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, people, I fractured my spine in three places. And people always people ask me all the time, which is so sweet. They're always like, how's your back doing? And I'm like, my back is fine. Like, yeah. no one needs to worry about my back. Have I emotionally recovered from the situation that unfolded around breaking my back? Yeah. No.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like my back never hurts. I live my life as if I never, um, you know, broke my spine and had a, wore a back brace for 11 weeks. I, that does not bother me, but I retired basically as a result of what happened and I haven't processed that. And so like, it's so real. Yeah. Um, So I got like. You know, for me, I wasn't able to handle the emotions that came with breaking my back as the, <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> it was the, like, it was the final piece of the puzzle for me. It was like the yeah. last straw. But for you, like you came back through so much. And and, and something I, I guess I had like want to point out. is was like, you were really just getting back into your groove from oh, your first hip surgery. I know when the second one happened, it was yeah. like, you had just probably started to breathe deeply again after yeah. holding your breath when it happened again. So it's like, my question for you is like, why, why didn't you quit? Did you ever want to quit? And if, Mm. and and if you did, like what kept you going Yeah. in that time when it's so dark?
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, this is, yeah, I'm a very joyful person, very resilient. And yes, I wanted to quit. I mean, especially after the first one, yeah, because I thought, well, I was, I was very tired. I wasn't feeling motivated. And I'm like, well, I don't know if this is, this is it. Like, is this it for me? Is this the end of my bike racing career?
1: Yeah. Is this a sign? Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) And, but really that's every injury is an opportunity. You know, that injury, I would say saved my bike racing career. You know, it was the motivation build Mm -hmm. that I needed. The the gratitude build that I needed to really take a break physically and mentally and Mm -hmm. then build back up again. So yeah, there were absolutely times that I wanted to quit. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like when you're in pain, when you have a setback, um, with the recovery process, when things maybe aren't going to plan, like, I mean, even the first race that I came back Mm -hmm. after the second hip surgery. So I was trying to come back in the same season And I like, I was slow. (laughs) I mean, I was like slow and I'm like, "Eh, is this going to work out? You know, so of course there's moments of doubt. Mm
1: -hmm. So you're saying even for you as a multi-time Olympian and champion on champion, that progress (laughs) still wasn't linear. Is that what you're saying? Yes. It's (laughs) a very winding path. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Up and down. I for some reason have this weird, like, weird visual in my head right now as we're having this conversation of someone in the future listening to this conversation where they're like on the trainer yeah, soft pedaling at like 80 watts and they're probably like wearing a sling because they yeah. like, just had like a collarbone surgery or something and they're like, oh, this one's for me. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Keep pedaling and up those watts a little bit, you know? and there's going to be opportunities that come out of this injury. Yeah. Out, out of every injury. I mean, and sometimes you don't sometimes you don't see them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll realize them a year past, sometimes mm-hmm. maybe never. But good things come out of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, not to keep making this about me, but I just I look through this from the lens of breaking my back and how if it's like, well, nothing good came out of that except I realized that I like had the freedom to take a step back from something that wasn't working for my mental health yeah. and my phys- or my physical health. And so it was like, that was like the worst case scenario was that if I broke my back, I'd have to stop racing. Yeah. And then that worst case scenario kind of became like maybe the best case scenario for me. So yeah, it's like you finally even like permission. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so like with your injury, it was like, you had permission to like take a break, mm-hmm. which obviously your body needed because you were having these injuries. It's like yeah. you, you needed a break and you deserved a break. Yeah. And
0: it gave me the opportunity to focus on strength and to yeah. reconnect with Bill Knowles, who I'd worked with years prior, mm-hmm. and to actually focus on this. And that's what brought me to the next level and I think was a big factor in me qualifying for my first Olympic team.
1: Wow. Yeah. So like, yeah, there are these things that came into your life because of this, like, unfortunate... Time, mm-hmm. like the the dark times, <laughs> yeah. Um, are the like, are some of those things still in your life? Like that happened as a result of?
0: Yeah, I mean, you saw today. I have I still have the drum set. <laughs> <laughs> I, after the first hip surgery, I bought a drum set because I always wanted to learn how to play <laughs> drums, and I thought, wow, I'll have a bunch of time to do this, and so. I like finally got the drum set that I wanted. Now I don't really know how to play still, <laughs> but that's still I, I want to learn. Um yeah, there's there's absolutely uh learnings that I I have taken from those times of injury. And, you know, they're yeah, I still have the world champs medals, you know, right. from like those times. That twenty fourteen season when yeah. I came back in the same season is when I won my first world championship medal it, it's crazy
1: yeah oh my, that i mean yeah i feel like that really says it all yeah <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears just a little bit but still very relevant to what we've been talking about um, you have a story of so much resilience and kind of in that story of resilience is sort of underlined by the success that followed like these hard things happen to mm. you But then you came back and you achieved more than you thought. Yeah. So then kind of the like beautiful, sad, resilient contrast of that is after everything. 2021 comes around Mm -hmm. and you did not make the Olympic team. Yeah. And I mean, I felt that heartbreak for you and I felt that heartbreak for Chloe and I also felt the heartbreak for uh, Aaron.
0: Absolutely.
1: It was, I think it was a situation that, as someone who was on the outside, but had at one point wanted to be on that long list mm-hmm. and was mourning my own yeah. time where I was like, oh, I didn't even get to try. Yeah. I felt that heartbreak for all of you yes. in these very unique ways. So I think you've been like really, really, really brave in sort of sharing that heartbreak. Like with everyone, and yeah. um, you know, just before we started this, I watched your TEDx talk <laughs> where you talked about that, um, how to win when you don't win. Yeah. But can you can you share a little bit more about that emotion of you had you were the member of two Olympic teams yeah. and you wanted to go for your third, which yeah. is pretty unheard of for a lot of Olympians. Mm-hmm. Um. But that um, that emotion of not making the team oh. after. Yeah that extra year on top of it.
0: Yeah. That, um, this is honestly an emotional injury that I'm still dealing with. It was devastating. It was, it was truly heartbreaking and a little bit. Um, I would say it rocked my world in a little bit of a way that I, I've always functioned on these certain beliefs in Mm my um, bike racing career that, hard work pays off, right? Yeah. Yeah, in life, in bike racing, like hard work pays off. If you're going to put in the work, it Mm -hmm. will somehow show. right? And that's why I love bike racing so much. It's different than ski racing, downhill ski racing, where you can train, 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 but maybe you just don't have it, which was... Um, partially my, my case. And then I found bike racing and I was like, oh, this is great. I can work my butt off and it's going to
1: show for something. Right. It was like one plus one equals two for you. Exactly. in, in, In bike racing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and this was really one of the first times that one plus one did not equal two Mm -hmm. and the hard work did not pay off in the way that I had always envisioned it Mm -hmm. and so I was on this natural progression you know from my first Olympic games I come in 11th I go into Rio with metal hopes you know and and uh come in seventh you know I had gotten a silver medal in the world championships before And then so, yeah, I'm on this great progression. Tokyo is going to be it for me. I'm later in my career and this is my opportunity finally at that medal in that lifelong dream. And I tore a disc in my back in the lead up to those games. So I had, you know, I went into that 2020 season prepared, like all cylinders firing. And had that worked out, Mm -hmm. I think, um, had that season panned out, I think it would have been different. Yeah. And like, it's just one of the many ways that the pandemic shook up things, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the Olympics. So yeah, it was, it was devastating. And we talked about gratitude and really my work with my sports psychologist, Roberta Krauss, helped me through, helped me survive. Yeah. Through this. And so we started a gratitude journal Mm -hmm. that was focused on my actions. Mm. So I had to set process goals, not focus on results goals, because I can't control the Olympic Selection Committee. Believe me, I wish I could. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't control the results. Um, So it was my goal. My centering goal became I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at this. Yes. So I'm gonna do every single thing possible to make that Olympic team Mm -hmm. and win a medal. And Mm -hmm. then it became, after the injury, okay, I'm gonna do every single thing possible Mm -hmm. to recover from this injury and have the best performance that
1: I can. Right, you're gonna control your controllables. Exactly.
0: And so my gratitude journal became, what what hard work am I grateful for Mm. today? So, I could like look back and see, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I've put in all this work. Right. So, it could be, yeah, I went to the pool today and the pool heater broke and it was, the water was literally 50 degrees. (laughs) And I still did my pool core workout Mm -hmm. to like, you know, to make that happen. So, at the end of the day, however heartbreaking it was, I could still. Go to sleep at night having no regrets because I did absolutely everything in my power to make that team. Like we threw everything at it. Mm-hmm. And my support squad, but really Frazier and I. I mean, yeah. we're like we make a team, a good team, and we poured our hearts and souls into that journey. And it and it is heartbreaking that it did not work out because we put so much into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you said for the first time—you're reconciling with the fact that hard work and determination yeah. doesn't always pay off. Um, do you feel like you've been able to, like, come to terms with this a little bit? Do you do you now feel like the way that the way that I look at it, and this is so easy for me to say, looking yeah. at you, I'm like, she worked so hard, she overcame so much, like that in and of itself, regardless of whether she went to Tokyo, is like. Yeah. What makes you who you are? Yeah. Do you feel that way yet or is it still too fresh? It's
0: nice to hear that because that <laughs> makes me feel
1: better, <laughs> honestly. So
0: do I have to pay for this therapy session? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I honestly, I don't know if I fully reconciled with that because that that's like a value and a way that I have um, approached life that is still a little bit um shattered. Yeah. And I see the like glimmers of light in this in this whole journey. So um you know, it it has afforded me the experience of heartbreak and building resilience that a lot of people go through and is very human and we all need to build resilience. So I feel like I've taken like a crash course in resilience. <laughs> you know, coming back from not being named to that team and then having raced finished out racing the season. I mean, I yeah. could have stopped easily. Yes. right then and there, but again, I that wouldn't have afforded me the closure that I needed. Yeah. Cuz I needed to show up on that World Cup start line like i knew i could Mm -hmm. like fully prepared not injured strong like i just wanted to have a race that i knew i could Mm -hmm. and boy that took a lot of overcoming so many setbacks. I'm like, really? Like really universe, not making the Olympics is not enough. Like you're going to give me a concussion right before world Champs. Mm-hmm. So when I'm like just getting going mm-hmm. and then, okay, the world cup, I don't race world champs. And then the world cup after world champs, I crash on and I got like an uppercut punch to, like, to the chin from a stump, (laughs) and so then I'm worried about having a concussion in that race, and then so then we're coming up to the last opportunity Mm -hmm. of the season, which is um, the World Cup Finals in Snowshoe.
1: Oops, we're in the US. Oops, we're <laughs> surrounded by Leah fans. Oops, this is the Hallmark movie about resilience yes. and Leah is our main character. Really what will is. she do? It really is.
0: Rise up. Um, so <laughs> even you know the the short track happens before the cross country and even the short track didn't go to plan
1: i know i just want to wrap you in like bubble wrap
0: oh (laughs) god i got like stuck behind this traffic jam like over this pedestrian bridge it was too narrow and so i'm like is this going to happen for me you're like oh
1: my god do i have to race another season of world cups just to like (sighs) Exactly. Like, and, Universe, do not make me do this. Yes, do Please. not. Please, <laughs> And luckily, I
0: mean, I feel so grateful that I did. I showed up at the at World Cup Finals at the cross country and I had good luck because it takes good luck and I had the race I knew I could. I finished the first American and it was almost poetic justice because I spent the majority of that race with Yolanda Neff, the Olympic champion, drafting off of me, like holding on for dear (laughs) life, except for on the downhills, where she was like, literally, (laughs) no, she's coaching me. You can
1: take that jump. What
0: are you doing? You can also take that jump. I was like, oh God. (laughs) The,
1: the, The beauty and the frustration with Yolanda is I don't think she knows that like Gravity impacts her differently, and I believe that. Like I believe in anything else, like she exists in a different I know. sphere of like of gravity. She yes, like, you're like you can take that jump. Like <laughs> I am confident, and yes. I still can't take that jump. Like she does things that like I it, know. So anyway, that's really nice. <laughs> really I nice. And just an aside, I'm like,
0: it was it's hilarious. Different. It's different <laughs> it really is. But that was such, like, what an incredible experience. I mean, we're we're good friends. And after, like, she drafted off me that entire race, and, like, this is the Olympic champion, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like, that could have been me given different circumstances. So that was, like, a very nice closure experience. And... Like the fans there were amazing. So I'm just so grateful for that experience. And also for Yolanda in that moment. I mean, she, as she often does, like had a crazy last (laughs) laugh and she gapped me on the descent. And then I was having a hard time getting, closing that gap. Mm -hmm. And she, being the incredible human that she is, she literally looked at Fraser directly in the eye on the next climb. And she goes, when Leah comes by, you tell her to get up here with me, like she can do it. She and I'm went like, full
1: Swiss, yes. like I am giving orders, and you will be here. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my god! And Frisia, like
0: no one ever talks to fans during a race, you know? And like you, she picked like, her out. Oh yeah. Yeah, and Fraser's just like stunned, like, "Okay, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am, <laughs> I will do that." Wow. So, yeah, I mean, there are, there are definitely gifts along the way. Mm-hmm. That's just one one of a couple. Um, yeah, but I I feel very grateful that I was able to have that experience. Yeah. Oh
1: gosh, <laughs> I guess it, it's sometimes like these things feel like um, consolation prizes. Yeah totally but, but then i don't know if you feel this way i've had like these moments in my life where things like don't go how i want them to and yeah. um it doesn't compare to not making the olympics yeah. so i'm not going to pretend that it does but like i'll have these moments where things are just like horrible and terrible and like i posted up before going across the line one time and oh i got nipped at the line God, I hate that. which was probably still to this day, the most humiliating thing that's oh. ever happened to me. And if you know me, a lot of humiliating things have happened to me. <laughs> and then it's so like, that was supposed to be my first UCI win. Like that's, oh. why I, that's why I posted up so early. I was so excited. It was my first UCI oh win. Oh my God. But then the week after I won my first race and yeah. all my friends were there. Yeah. Or if you, to do a call back to second, uh, to the second episode of this podcast, Curtis. Yes. 18 national championships, oh 17 God. tries on his 18th. He finally wins nationals. Yeah in front of his home crowd yeah in front of his family in front of his fiance's family yes um everyone was there it was the most epic amazing race yep. and so it was like he I just finally I know just thinking <laughs> about it like you still get and so it was like there are all these things that could have gone differently yeah but like it makes that moment like that you're kind of that consolation prize almost like so much more worth it yeah and like it sounds like Snowshoe was just this like race to remember and as your final yeah. World Cup. Like it's not the Olympics, but in a way, from where I say, it, it sounds so like <laughs> emotional to do that in front of American fans oh, too. It's just like yes. what a way to show up.
0: It was amazing. Yeah, and also to be the first American across that line. And it was the fans, the noise, it yeah. was deafening. I mean, very you can same as Europe even mm-hmm. maybe even louder you know so yeah. it yeah it was an incredible moment for me
1: that's that's amazing and so that was that was your final um yeah race that was like your retirement from the world cup circuit mm-hmm. but you weren't done yep you <laughs> decided to take on a very interesting and exciting journey <laughs> with the lifetime grand prix presented by Mazda yeah which i Having been one of the commentators, i am obligated to call it by its full name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like we're
1: still throwing the sponsor out there. Presented by Mazda. (laughs) And, um, you had a very, very unique experience with the LTGP. So, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think like this whole story has really been underscored by this idea of like being true to yourself. Yeah. Being very honest and like recognizing of the emotions that you're feeling, even, yes. if, even if you don't want to be feeling those emotions. Yeah. And I think that like this is the perfect kind of like punctuation to this whole conversation. Yeah. Um, is that it was after Unbound. Yeah, correct? exactly. You, so we're um, two races in. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, two races into the series, well,
0: but it felt like a million. It felt like a million, <laughs> um, and I like actually, 12. I almost, I
1: almost said the third race because it, it felt like it was the third race. Yeah, but it was because Unbound, I think, was so arduous. Yeah, um, and of course, so much had happened leading up to that event as well. Yeah, that yeah. Um, I think, like for everyone there, it felt like you know, it, it had been, heavy. it had been, a, it had been like a lifetime since Sea Otter. Yeah. Um. So for you after. 200 miles in Emporia, Kansas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I saw you before the race. I'm going to add that. And you were so excited. And I got to do an interview with you about your pride bike and your athlete ally kit, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So I'm going to save that. Um, You were so excited. And then that was not the person (laughs) (laughs) who crossed the finish line. (laughs) I was like, who is this... Poor imposter of was I that they know. put on her bike. My soul had been sucked out yes, yes. the, the demo, of um, miles. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was a different. You were a different person. Yeah. And obviously, the experience that you had was not temporary. No. It, did that border on type three fun? Do you know the type? Do you know what type three fun is? I don't know type three. Okay, so type one fun, fun while you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Type two fun, hurts while you're doing it. Fun after. Yeah. Type three fun never gets fun. (laughs) It's bad while you're doing it. It's bad after you Uh, don't look at it and say like, Oh, that ride sucked. And my hands were cold, but I'm glad that we did it. You were like, you're like, I still to this day, (laughs) do not look back on it with fondness.
0: Like unbound for me. I know not for a lot of people. Definition of type three. I mean, I went into that second feed zone, Mm -hmm. which is that mile, what? 150, I think, or 160 yeah um, just repeating to Fraser and Kelsey Nashley at my support crew never again, <gasps> never again And like never Leah, again. that's
1: huge because like you have talked already so much you you know so much about mindset, you yeah. work with a sports psychologist. you know that that is like <laughs> the worst mindset to have during a race. So I think that really shows that someone like you, If you're in that, like, oh god, if you're riding the negative jackhammer in a race, (laughs) (laughs) like, that is, it was that really goes to show. And like you said, yeah, not for everyone, but for you. And I think I would. I think that would be me. Yeah, I don't. I have no interest in ever racing Unbound because I don't think that that's my type. That's not my idea of enjoyment. Yeah. So. You rode the negative jackhammer all the way to the finish. Oh my you god! You survived. Barely hung on. Yeah. I mean, I
0: so I had three gold. I had three goals this season. Yeah. Which was to be with people. Mm-hmm. You know, coming out of COVID, I'm an extrovert. I was just very excited to be with people, <laughs> yeah. race with people, mm-hmm. to have fun and to be in the mix. So racing is exciting for me when you're in the mix, you know, you're battling with yeah, people, you're yeah. like, it's tactical. Mm-hmm. And all of those happened at Sea Otter. I was right. thrilled. You know, I, I arrived at Sea Otter just in time to make that fitness switch from uh, Nordic skiing and skiing all winter, mm-hmm. just in time, to switch over to riding. And I came in fourth and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is it, you know, like this is going to be a great season. And then, so I was psyched before unbound. I knew it was, was going to be a challenge Mm -hmm. and I had never ridden 200 miles right ever. The longest I,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving Leah a look like, yeah, why would (laughs) you have
0: done that? (laughs) And the longest I had gone before unbound was like 120, maybe 130, two rides. Yeah and yeah so going in those were my goals and right. also going into this season i thought okay i love bike racing
1: right like I'll i love, love all forms
0: of bike racing two wheels yeah i've tried you know racing over in road at, like over in europe mountain bike racing stage racing right mm-hmm. um so even a little bit of cyclocross, went before pre-hip surgery, was awesome. Shout out to
1: Catamount. Yeah, BCIs. exactly,
0: exactly. And so um, what I discovered through the Lifetime Grand Prix and mostly through Unbound was, oh, I don't think I like all forms of bike racing equally. Yeah. You know, I love mountain biking. Yeah. And this was a discovery. And I, none of those three goals happened for me at Unbound. I did not have fun. I was, um, you know, I was in the mix.
1: <laughs> We're
0: just speaking honestly. I did not
1: have fun. I did not have fun. I am straight up not having a good time. <laughs> I,
0: I was in the mix until the first feed zone. You know, I thought, if I'm going to do this, let's do it. Like, I'm going to race this thing. You know, so I was like in top 10, maybe even top five. I crashed, but I was with um, Haley and Stormy Haley Smith, and I'm like, this is great. I'm with the mountain bike ladies. Mm-hmm. I'm in the mix. I'm with people. I'm having fun. Go through f- the first aid station, and then the lights went off. I mean, Emily Newsom Newsom came flying by us, mm-hmm. and those two ladies like picked it up to get on her wheel, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have anything.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Having worked and worked at Unbound two years now yeah. the way that I see unbound is like those runaway truck ramps mm-hmm. um, that have like really like a lot of sand yes and it's like you have a lot of speed I've never yes. ridden on one obviously but like you have a lot of speed and like you kind of have that momentum but by <laughs> yeah. the time you get to the top oh like you're stopped yes right? and that's the idea but so the first feed zone comes really fast yeah it like does. you clip through it's like 80 miles eighty month mile thing. miles yeah and like you have to rush from the start line to make it to the first feed zone yeah. because like they're going to get there really quickly and then the subsequent 120 <sighs> miles do not go as fast as the first 80 and at all at all so it's like you kind of <laughs> get this false sense of security i think yes. from that first those first 80 it's miles it's all a
0: lie yeah
1: <laughs> there's miles. a lot there's a lot that still stands between you and the finish line. There. Yes.
0: Physically, I wasn't, you know, I've been training for my whole career in life for an hour and a half race and training for that. Okay. It's three hours, it's four hours. And what I've learned through these like longer gravel races is, yeah, that's almost my, that's my max bandwidth Mm. and kind of my body is like, no, what are we doing right now? Anywhere past that. So that's why the lights shut out, like shut off, like after that first feed zone, The whole race passed me. I mean, the whole race. And all these ladies that I know hop on my wheel. I just couldn't. I couldn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. Have a great race. Um, It started raining. I mean, I was, and it's just, it was just that feeling of being, uh, I mean, this is probably putting it more harshly, but like a failure. You know, like I could not hold any wheels. Like it was just a complete um, shake of my confidence. Yeah. Really, after that race, I mean, I finished, but it was surviving. It wasn't. It wasn't in the mix at all. I mean, yeah. I spent like a good thirty miles. 40 miles even like near tears and I'm like don't cry don't cry because you can't breathe right it's the- not good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly start hyperventilating yep. and then like literally every mile I'm like okay I'm gonna call Fraser now and just call her to pick me up yeah and but I never picked up the phone because I was like you know what I don't want any stupid unfinished business with this right. race right Because I don't want to feel compelled to come and have to finish any business.
1: Right, you're like, I'm as far in as I'll ever be. Yes! So, like, I might as well get this done and then never think about it again.
0: And at that point, I was also thinking about the overall for the Lifetime Grand Prix. So, okay, maybe I want to skip Leadville, or maybe I want to skip another race, so...
1: Right, well, and that adds such an important part, too, is you're you're finishing this race, and then you're staring down four more races like this. So it's not like, okay, all I have to do is survive unbound, and then it's over. You have former races. So I guess that's kind of, um, yeah, you, you finished this race. You didn't have fun. Yeah. (laughs) You are really unhappy with the situation. Yeah. I'm going to ask one question and then I'm going to ask the the big question that we're sort of edging around. Did you feel guilty for not enjoying this type of racing at all? So interesting.
0: I don't know. Did I feel guilty? I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit because there is pressure out there that like gravel is the best, right? Yeah,
1: and you you love bikes, Yes. and ergo you're going to love this, and everyone seems to love it, yes. But why don't I?
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, why is
1: this why not a working why out? Can't I?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, I there is a little a little bit of that, like a tinge of like, why isn't that okay? Like. Does this is me? confusing um, but oftentimes I'm like pretty true to my emotions so I'm like yeah. yeah, you know what I love mountain biking yeah like this is something that I love of course because I've done it for 20 years so this makes sense
1: yeah and so maybe maybe the emotions you were feeling and leading towards what we're gonna talk about is um, I think there's like a, a lot of maturity and like mm. comfort in what you're feeling So yeah. you withdrew from the lifetime Grand Prix after unbound. yes. And I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision, no. but I also feel like the challenge of the decision was being comfortable accepting the emotions that you were feeling. You yeah. probably knew 82 miles into Unbound that you didn't really <laughs> want to do it anymore. Yes. And then you needed the time to decide like, okay, that's actually okay that I feel this way. Yeah. Um, so you withdrew from the Lifetime Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. and it's kind of a big decision. Yeah. Very prestigious. Yeah. A lot of people applied to be in that position. So like, how did you, how did you deal with that decision?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, this whole season was designed to be fun Mm -hmm. and be kind of an off ramp of, you know, elite world cup competition. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be fun. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not having fun doing this. And I've spent 20 years being very rigid mm-hmm. with everything and competing at the highest level and having my schedule set. And so this year, you know, I was so excited. Yeah, this is going to be so fun, you know, and it wasn't fun. So I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I don't need to do it. Yeah. You know, whereas I needed to, to race world cups. Cause I had goals and sponsors and, and the magical thing about this season was I have all my partners are so supportive. You know, there wasn't any real set schedule,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they were excited about me racing gravel and they're so supportive in the, when I went to them and said, you know what? Like I am not having fun. I'm not happy. What do you think about me pivoting over to mountain bike? And, and they were all supportive. Like, Leah, we don't want you to be miserable. Yeah. You know, like we don't want that for you. <laughs> um, and it was still, you know, still a bold move, I feel like, because I was swimming upstream. I mean, I was the only one I feel like that said, hey, gravel's not for me. Right we're in in a climate where all the energy in the Everything bike industry is moving
1: towards gravel. towards gravel and you're i like, was
0: swimming upstream.
1: You're like i've seen what i need to see.
0: Yeah. And i was go- i care about bike racing and i care about the bike industry something that i think we're both passionate about. And so i w- there is this underlying issue of safety mm-hmm. and um fairness in gravel racing that was very Different from yes. the formats of racing, UCI racing that I was used to. And I wasn't willing to be in a dangerous situation anymore. So, since I care about bike racing, that I was vulnerable about my decision and out- outright about it. Yeah. And, and I said, I contacted Betsy and I said, hey, let's write an article. Yeah. You know, and I put full faith in her. I mean, we I just answered some questions in an yeah. email and let her run with it and what she came out with was great and also the title was like, "Hey, here's why Leah's quitting or dropping out of the Lifetime Grand Prix." Yeah. I was like,
1: "Oh." She wasn't like tiptoeing around. No, yeah.
0: I mean straight up. Yeah. And I wanted to to go about that process in a way that wasn't hiding behind my right. decision because I wanted to make change. Yeah. I did not want to see someone die Yeah, in one of these gravel races because all of these safety things are being
1: overlooked. I mean, I feel so strongly about that. Yeah. We have that conversation at home a lot. It's yes. Like, I mean, it, it makes your stomach turn sometimes yes. when you think about some of the ways that these races are being operated. Absolutely. Like, fast and loose doesn't feel like it does it justice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like
0: safety isn't uncool, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like uh, there's this whole like energy and opinion around gravel that it's Mm -hmm. like the new cool thing. Mm -hmm. And Here's what it is. I mean, whenever I posted something on my Instagram about mm-hmm. gravel, it gets the most comments, yeah. the most feedback, start times, everything. And then I post something about something I really care about. <laughs> and it's like, one comment. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. So it's like, there's a, there's a lot of energy behind it, which I respect, you know? And there's this, it's, things change when you bring pro racing in. Like, yeah. I am not debating that. And there's a level of I think understanding that people need to have that when you bring pro racing into gravel racing, Mm -hmm. you are taking on a lot more than maybe you realize.
1: So yeah, because there's a like some now now at some point people are like motivated to blow a stop sign or take a risk. Exactly. When this was a gravel ride, yes, um, it was it, it was very different and like i think people love gravel cuz it's this like unstructured and it's the spirit of gravel and, and whatever you want to call it but there's this like kind of wild west component yeah that if cars didn't exist Ugh. we could have that yes like it's the <laughs> yes. idea of this is why we can't have nice things yeah right? we talk about this with our dog winnie <laughs> um, where like we wish that she could be free range, yeah, and I wish that she could just be loose all the time. And mm-hmm. I say this to Aiden constantly. It's like if cars and guns didn't exist, yeah, Winnie could, we wouldn't need a fence, yeah, and Winnie could just like roam, and she could chase the mice, and she could mm-hmm. terrorize the squirrels, and <laughs> she would come back when it was dinner time, <laughs> and that would be her ideal situation, yeah. But I'm scared to death that she's gonna either wander onto someone's land, yeah. or um, wander into the road, yeah. And I, I'm otherwise very not worried about her. I trust her survival instinct to not get into trouble with a big animal or anything yes. like that. But I don't trust her not to accidentally go somewhere where she's not supposed to be. Yeah. And so I think it's the same thing with gravel racing that it's like, yeah, in the ideal world, we would be able to just be completely free and like ride yeah. and go fast and take risks and corners because for the most part, like yeah. you can do that. And then you start to add other people who exist on the road and in the world. And yeah, suddenly things are a lot more dangerous. And and so I think like you talking about the risks are really important. And I think like you actually were in like a very, very good spot for that conversation because you were kind of like stepping out of the sports. You were like, I was in it. I experienced it, but you also like kind of had the privilege of like not really having anything to lose. Yes. Because you, you weren't risking like pissing off a sponsor. Yeah. That was like, you know, this like, is it. like, Hey, like, you're, you're like our, you're a gravel racer. Like, you can't be talking against the yes. sport. You were like, I'm a mountain bike racer who tried gravel and in here was my experience. Yeah. I think like, it's really nice that you used that, um, kind of privilege, I guess. Yeah. Thank um, you.
0: It, yeah. It, I was in a privilege unique spot. I have been because I'm at the end of my career. Mm-hmm. I'm not like some of these younger riders who are trying to cut their teeth and make money yeah. in this sport. And so they're forced to race gravel.
1: Right. And kind of bite their tongue. Yes, which absolutely. Comes up a lot more than people may be privy oh to goodness. in the sport of cycling. It's, yes. it's like don't don't make a problem.
0: Yeah. Oh, I behind closed doors in my DMs, mm-hmm. you know, I had overwhelming support for my decision. Yeah. And a lot of I can't even count on two hands, like it's more than two hands that Fellow racers came up to me and said, "Oh, good for you! Yeah, I wish I could do that, or I, I believe the same, you know." And I was like, "Whoa! Yeah, I'm not alone in this, right?" I think the other point I want to make that people don't realize is in these races, wins could be the difference between having a job next year and not. Yeah, and when you are in a situation where you have to risk your life and blow that stop sign or or go throughout that that highway crossing Mm -hmm. in order to make your dreams come true as a bike racer like that is extremely dangerous I mean the pressure is high Mm -hmm. and I think that's what people don't realize yeah our our contracts many of them are year to year there are you know there are you have to meet this certain criteria to re-sign or mm-hmm. re-up your contract, and so the pressure is just way too high to race in that kind of unstructured, dangerous environment.
1: <sighs> yeah, and yeah, a lot of people don't realize that they think yeah. that bike racing is like very glamorous and and whatever. And it is—it's bike racing is great, yeah—but it's also a lot more volatile than I think people may give it credit for. Yeah. Um, so like. Yeah, just good on you for using that opportunity where you didn't have as much at stake as maybe some of your fellow competitors. And yeah. speaking, what I think a lot of people really needed to hear. Um, I have one final question for you. Okay. Um, this is sort of the the big overarching question of the entire episode of goal setting and between the Olympics and coming back from injury and the lifetime Grand Prix or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. You have always had like this goal that you are chasing and I'm asking this 100% self-motivated. So I want to know the answer to this question (laughs) and if you all get benefit from it at home, then that's, (laughs) that's great. And that's fine. (laughs) You've always had a goal that you're chasing Yeah. and then you went through like this huge change. Like you're not in the lifetime Grand Prix. You went through that heartbreak of not making the team in in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. How do you continue to find a goal to move towards when the big boxes have been checked off.
0: Oh man, that's a, that is a good question. I think professional athletes are very goal oriented and self motivated, and so I just find the next goal that seems mm-hmm. exciting, mm-hmm. right? Like that that will light me up. And so, for example we talked about it, like after I didn't get selected, the goal was, well, I'm not going to let this define me or my career. I'm going to show up like, and, and race how I want to be defined. Like Mm -hmm. I get to determine that. Mm -hmm. So that was very motivating because I'm like, nope, this Olympic selection does not define me yes, or my entire career. I get to, deter- to determine that. So that was big. Hell yes. Um, yeah. And then with the Lifetime Grand Prix, it was, I'm like, okay, I love mountain biking. So let me go do a world championships. Mm-hmm. You know, the marathon world championships since I've been training for this longer format. So mm-hmm. what a cool way to kind of dip my toes back into that international race scene because obviously we can't get enough of it. I have retired from it, but not even <laughs> a year later, I'm like, oh, I got to get back for more. <laughs> and, but it was low pressure. Right. I mean, it, it didn't matter. Like this wasn't going to define my career. So mm-hmm. Whoa! This was another experience where expe- no expectations. Yeah, I mean, my it's not like we went into the season training for that, right? And we pivoted like what a month out, mm-hmm. a, maybe a month out or a month and a half, and so my coach and I were like, yeah, just go have fun, yeah, you know, and be in the mix, and so that was such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Because my goal in that race was, I want to go get up with that front group. Yeah. But that was a big goal. Yeah. Because I started in, I had no UCI points. So I started in like last. Yeah. And that course was narrow, not a lot of passing. But I went into that first feed zone with the front group. (laughs) I like made it up there. Yolanda, Pauline were there. And I'm like, what? ladies did back. you miss me exactly <laughs> I am back and I'm like looking at Yolanda like smiling she's smiling back and I go into that first speed zone and Frazier knew she she was there and she knew like I wanted to get up with that front group mm-hmm. but it was going to be a major ass. yeah and so she did not expect me to be in the front group I came in in third <gasps> And she was, and I was just smiling. Did she even have your
1: bottles ready? Yeah. So she, she's just oh, barely,
0: barely. But she's a future selfer. So like she did, she was yeah. prepared. And she was like, I was the only one smiling. I mean, oh I my was, God. I just stopped short of pointing at like myself and being like, check this Do shit you out. you see this? Yeah, check this out for She was like, holy moly. Oh my God, Leah. So yeah, it's just like, kind of setting that next goal figuring out what's what's going to light me up, you know, yeah. what is motivating. Yeah. Like where am I drawn to? Yeah. It's it's actually easier for me than I would think. I mean, I was on like I wouldn't call it a revenge thing, but kind of like after the, I've
1: been dressing for revenge, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yes, <laughs> I was definitely dressing for a little bit of revenge <laughs> after that uh, that Tokyo Olympic selection. But yeah, it's just kind of what I'm drawn to. Yeah,
1: I got nothing else. That All right, was, um, mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. That was. That was phenomenal. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you so much, Leah. I'll be talking to you again. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode three, part one, with Leah Davidson. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and stick around for next week's episode with Leah, where we talk about her experience being an openly gay athlete in the sport of mountain biking. You can find all the ways to follow and support Leah in the show description. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.